Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for the filmstage.com as always i'm your host brian j rowan and with me today we have michael snydell hello bill graham Woo! and here with us as a special guest to talk about roma the newest film from alfonso Cuaron, we have monica castillo hi thank you for having me hello thank you for coming um, would you like to take this moment to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Um, right now, I'm a New York City-based film critic, uh, writing for outlets such as RogerEber.com, The Wrap, uh, NPR, and just about any other place I can get my reviews into. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And we are here all today to talk about Roma. Again, the newest film from writer, director, and this time, cinematographer... Alfonso Cuaron. Before we get into that, the usual real nonsense. overachiever. <laughs> yeah, he's really flexing it. <laughs> I was, um, I mean, we'll get into it, but you know, the, the credits for this movie are entirely in Spanish, and I took Spanish way back when, and so I was like, I have to be reading this wrong, right? Like, he could not have possibly done. <laughs> he all also of those did things. some of the editing. Yeah, I was like, because I feel like in French, like. The, the, the term for director like looks like it could be editor or cinematographer. Like I've had that moment where I'm like, oh my God. But then I realize, and in this, nope, he did it all. Every <laughs> every bloody aspect of this movie is his. Um and again, for like movie. catering and best. You boy. don't know. He could have. <laughs> he might have thrown some food out for people. No, um, no Chivo this time, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, you must no have been Chivo. happy about that, Michael. I, it, let's not get into it. <laughs> This is how we're setting it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not a podcast if we don't immediately harp on something that Michael has complained about in the past. Oh, come on. <laughs> Look, man, you're in charge of your persona, and this is who you've created. <sighs> this, this is true. I'm my own worst enemy. <laughs> you are. Um, <sighs> basic stuff to get through. Twitter uh, is at Film Stage Show. Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Email us, podcast at thefilmstage.com. And, of course, you can find us on iTunes and give us a comment and rating. Go to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow to help us produce more episodes by becoming a patron for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our super cool Slack channel and also a bunch of cool, exclusive movie-related raffles that happen. And, of course, we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where their intelligent, charismatic curators find a new film each day for you to enjoy. Um, you have 30 days to watch each film. And from that, the, from that, you can extrapolate. You always have a rotating selection of 30 films. What have we got going on? Uh, Michael, last time you had talked about A Touch of Sin. Yes. The uh, Gia Zenki film from, I think it's uh, from 2013. Yes. Uh, yeah, I did, I did not get a chance to watch it yet because I'm still catching up on 
2018 releases. I, I'm like <laughs> down to the last days before I need to get a list in, and there's maybe 30 movies I want to see. So I'll maybe get to like three of them. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I've never, I've never endured a screener season as the type of person who gets screeners before. I used to think it was the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> and now I realize it's like uh, one of those ironic genie wishes. And mm-hmm, I just, mm-hmm. I just here are all the myself. movies. How much? <laughs> how much time do you have? None. Okay, here we go. <laughs> and as the father of a two-year-old, like my window for watching films is super limited. So if next year fifty percent of all films that came out could be children's films, uh, that would be great because then I could watch them with my daughter. <laughs> Uh, going back to movie, um, we still have Rites of Passage, close up on Linda Rod- L- Lena Rodriguez with Senoritas and This Time Tomorrow, and um, a bunch of other great stuff coming out, including Adam Resurrected by Paul Schrader. So yeah, check those out. If you'd like a free 30-day trial of movie instead of just diving in, as you should, you can go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mu bi.com slash film stage i mean it's not like you're gonna watch anything more in filmstruck so (sighs) michael is still just bleeding from the loss of filmstruck i mean same here (laughs) well you got what the criterion channel is is coming it's not here yet it's not here yet have we all already signed up to be charter members I think that was like the only thing that a lot of people could do in their time of mourning. (laughs) (laughs) It's the perfect way to just express one's grief was to be like, yes, I promise. Anyway. Here's an email with with five movies. (laughs) (laughs) What were you saying, Uh, Michael? The email with five movies? Are you you talking about the digital downloads they gave everyone? Yeah, I was gonna be bitter again, but I figured I'll just let us move on. <laughs> it's got it's got uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. It's got King Kong. It's got uh, the other one, Casablanca, and the, like one of the original stars, Porns. The, the Cuckoo, Deep yeah. Cuts. Deep cuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is exactly what you know, folks went to Filmstruck for. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. wow. I mean, you know, I'm not one to look a gift horse in the mouth. I have watched since receiving those Casablanca and The Adventures of Robin Hood. Because The Adventures of Robin Hood is probably, like, my favorite movie of all time. But, you know, it still sucks. Anyway, um, let's, uh, let's turn our eyes from the grief of the loss of Filmstruck to uh, the newest film coming out from yet another movie streaming service. And that is Roma, which by the time you are listening to this, will be streaming on Netflix after a limited theatrical release. Again, um, it still seems like it is coming to more theaters from what I yes. saw. It doesn't look like the, the theatrical release is totally over. No, well, it's actually doing yeah. pretty solid business from what it sounds like. Oh, so they're going to keep it out. Yeah. Maybe one day I will be able to see it in one of those yeah. theaters. When, when I saw it, uh, my theater was pretty full, so... Nice. Yeah, I heard a friend of mine, uh, the screening that he went to was sold out. And then I saw earlier this week, uh, Variety reported that um, the 100 or so movie theaters in Mexico that had independent movie theaters in Mexico that had started showing it were selling out so quickly that they're asking to extend it. Wow. Well, that is that is good news. 
Um, so yes, this movie, Roma, again, written, directed, photographed, I guess is the way to put it, and um, co-edited by Alfonso Cuaron, and it is a semi-autobiographical look back at his own life uh, through the eyes of his childhood live-in nanny, um, according to IMDb, a story that chronicles a year in the life of a middle-class family in Mexico City in the early 1970s. And we are here to talk about it, and we will do so right after this clip of the trailer. Don't you love it when we review a film in a non-English language and the entire trailer has no dialogue? I'm sure that our listeners. I was going to say, that. yeah, the, yeah, they're they're really trying to play down the whole like you have to read subtitles portion of this. They do that all the point. time, and time. it is hilarious. Yeah. And my favorite is still the time that I, you know, because it's the format, had to play the trailer for the tribe. <laughs> Which I think we got okay. through like 20 seconds of it before everyone just broke down laughing. No. <laughs> Good times. Anyway, so we will begin, of course, with our spoiler-free nutshell thoughts on this film before moving into spoilers. Monica, as our guest, I invite you to go first. What are your basic roundabout nutshell spoiler-free thoughts on Roma? Oh my goodness. I love it. I, I got to see it at the Toronto International Film Festival and could not believe what I'd just seen. I immediately wanted to start the movie over again, but because I was not watching it on Netflix yet, I had to wait <laughs> for another festival in order to see it again. And even in that second viewing, I was still noticing new things, new details that didn't capture my attention the first time. I mean, this movie is so rich visually. It's so rich emotionally. I, I'm so impressed with it. And I'm really glad that now I get to, you know, now because it'll be so widely available, I can bring it home with me and show it to my parents um, for the holidays. All right. Bill Graham. <sighs> Um, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, this film is, is really interesting. I enjoyed the fact that I was able to see it on the big screen. Um, we'll, we'll see if I'm able to show it to the, my family because I haven't gotten a physical screener of it yet. So, um, well, it's going to be streaming it'll be on, out Netflix. on Netflix. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's how I want to watch Not it. feeling it. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. You know, um, I I think this is not a movie to watch on a small screen. Like I just I just don't feel like it's going. No, but you know, I, Netflix goes on TV too. I, I yeah I understand that, but I'm saying like I just don't think in an environment with phones and uh, the refrigerator and food and company and anything other distractions. You know, especially around the holidays, I think this is not a film to watch in that kind of environment. I think this this is made for a theater, and that's where it needs to reside, and that's where it's best viewed. And that's kind of an elitist look at it, especially since most people are probably going to experience this on Netflix, and that's that's sad. 
um, because I think you lose a lot of that experience if you are distracted by this movie. And unfortunately, there are extended periods of time in this film that that kind of wander a little bit. Um, not that they're a bad thing, but in that kind of viewing environment, I can see are it is going to be rife for distraction. So. All right, Michael Snydell. Yeah, you know, I've had some some kind of interesting experiences going back and forth with this film. In the sense that Quran is a director who I've I've liked for a long time, and you know, like each film is is kind of been interesting in the sense that um, I'm I'm not going to say that like as a uh, as a like a generalization that I have trouble with filmmakers who are more didactic or who rely more on broad metaphor but like that's kind of been the case and Quaran's kind of been an exception for me partly just because the emotionalism just kind of um the emotionalism of his films and just the sweep that they have uh just kind of brings me through and and does give me the awe that so few directors do so you know it's it is interesting uh, to respond to a bill's thing a little bit that i i did watch this on a small screen um and and i i watched it with my partner and we did watch it you know in silence <laughs> and thankfully we don't have like a, a loud refrigerator i'm a little worried about your refrigerator now Bill. <laughs> uh, no i just mean that my refrigerator calls to me oh okay well that i can completely understand <laughs> but um yeah i i think Nonetheless, though, I, I'm not going to say that this film left me cold or anything like that. But I think that I'm nonetheless having a lot of difficulty um, with what to make of Quaran's uh, relation to the story. And I don't want to immediately bring in a formalist reading to this. Like, Quaran's been very upfront. I, I, I know, Monica, even you actually, uh, you interviewed specifically him, I believe, at, at uh, TIFF, was it? No, I haven't. He's, I haven't been able to talk to him yet. I've oh. been trying to. Oh, wait, I'm um, so sorry. I, no I must... worries. It's a dream. Uh, hasn't happened yet. But I did get to talk to... Um, his producer, um, his production designer, sound designer, and a, a few other people in his cast and crew, and just like get a little bit more about like just learn more about the scope and the process of the making of the oh. film. So, so you're talking what you about what you may not like, have realized is that all of those people were actually him in yeah. increasingly <laughs> <laughs> ornate wigs. <laughs> yeah, pulled a uh, Tilda Swinton didn't. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Tilda Swinton, but the crew. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I, I'm sorry, though. I, Monica, I mist, mistook it, though. But I, I, anyways, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I find it really interesting because this is so much of the the um, coverage of this film is focused on, you know, production design and the, uh, the just kind of amazing uh, formal choices in this from, you know, just master shots to these pans of rooms that just reveal so much about these characters. But I guess mm -hmm. what I'm coming back to and what I'm struggling with a little bit in this film is what it's trying to, or, or how I should interpret this being a memory of, you know, a, a, uh, a housekeeper or, you know, someone who 
and, and I don't want to say housekeeper because that almost sounds reductive to how um, ingrained she is in, in this life. But what I'm getting across is there's just a, a weird sense of privilege here that I can't totally remove watching this. So I found this kind of an amazing technical exercise and I found a lot I, and I – Again, it's not cold because I think that uh, Cleo is played by uh, Yalitza Aparicio. 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 Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't want to butcher that. But uh, as played by her, it's it's a totally fleshed out character. And, you know, she has an arc. But I I just don't know what to make of where this film ultimately ends up and what it wants to say about the relationship between this family and Cleo. Um, and, and I want to be clear. I think the film absolutely acknowledges the, the like certain um, oddness of the relationship. Like there's, there's like even an explicit condescension in a number of scenes. So like that tension is somewhat is almost the most interesting part of this movie to me also. But again, it's nonetheless the thing I, I found myself thinking about the most. So I'm hoping I can just wrestle with this a little bit more in this conversation and get to hear what, you know, what you guys made of this experience as a whole. For me, um, this is, this is like an impeccably directed, impeccably shot, impeccably edited movie. It's one of those things that kind of creeps up on you in terms of its uh, technical difficulty and its actual production, because you think Alfonso Cuaron, he did uh, Children of Men, and that was a movie that involved, like, creating a future and all the, the battles and everything. And Harry Potter, you know, obviously all of the I – don't, I don't know shit about Harry Potter, so unfortunately <laughs> I can't give any specific things. But there's a lot of magic and creatures and whatnot. And then Gravity yeah, – yeah, I'm really yeah. not – I'm really not good with Harry Potter. I feel like magic and creatures is a safe bet. Um, <laughs> What was I going to say? Uh, and then gravity, gravity, obviously, like he's in space and, you know, there's stuff flying around and clearly he didn't go there for that. And then you say like Roma, an introspective character study that takes place in Mexico City in the 70s. Like how much like that's kind of like a weird step backward in terms of like the scale of the production and everything. But like watching this movie, I can only assume it's it's one of those movies that's just like startlingly slathered with cg but it's the type of thing that you don't notice because it's just like changing backgrounds and turning things period appropriate and like tweaking landscapes and you know the type the type of stuff that when people say like oh movies they have too much cg and it's distracting like they're thinking about marvel films and stars wars's I should say it's 10 o'clock p.m. in the East Coast so my mind <laughs> might, might not be working as fast as my mouth but anyway this movie is clearly a a great technical achievement. Um, when the time came to to you know do awards for the Washington Area Film Critics Association, I couldn't I could not give this enough technical accolades. You know, it was like cinematography, direction, on and on. But I found myself co- left cold by the actual story, and throughout the film, I found myself academically intrigued by its creation and its flow, but completely unmoved by the human story that was being told to me. And, um, 
the more I read about stuff and the more I, I looked into the story and kind of what what it was based on in terms of his own life, the more I started to feel, I don't know, a little, a little weird about it, a, a little, a little icky. Um, I know this movie is, is like dedicated to his, his real life. Um, I guess, you know, live in caretaker. Um, and I know that like he spoke with her and, you know, this was kind of his like way of, of not like glorifying her, but like, wrestling with with the idea of how much she she was a part of his life and how much of a person she was but there's something very strange about that and i say that as a person who having grown up um with two working parents you know every, every monday and tuesday i had um for the first like half of my life one you know nanny babysitter who was over from basically when i when I woke up to the point when like, you know, my dad would get home from work and, um, you know, I, I, I knew them very well and they became very close to me, but I was always kind of, it was always a very strange relationship to have. And I, it feels, it feels almost weird that this movie doesn't kind of grapple with that more. And it seems instead to just be this very, sad um i almost said exploitation and i don't know that i'm willing to pull the trigger on a word that strong but it's 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 just a very strange raw thing to put on the screen about someone else without kind of putting putting your own self on trial or under the microscope as well so i've told everyone when they ask what I thought of this movie that I liked it, which is, is not a lie, but I feel like there is a lot of stuff beneath the surface that I, I can't wait to talk with you all about to see if I'm like totally off base or if, if maybe it's something that I missed. Um, because that's definitely there. I will also say as, um, an American who is very ignorant of much of world history, (laughs) um, it, uh, it became, like I kind of wish that I had learned more about the Corpus Christi massacre uh, or or um El uh, Halconazo, I think is how it's pronounced um one of the one of the central things that this movie builds up to and then explores so I think um that's probably that's my own fault it's not the movie's fault <laughs> that uh it didn't like give me more of a historical basis for what I was seeing at a certain point but I will say that like learning more and being more aware even just in a basic way of what was going on uh in mexico at this time probably would have helped a little bit with my understanding but i don't think it would have helped with the uh the sense of kind of alienation that i had from the characters and i don't know if anyone else has a similar reaction Yeah, I did not. Um, i mean I, I understand that you can bring in a lot of extra extra textual stuff uh into this film and and whether you need that or not is kind of unfortunate if you know if you do it's unfortunate if you don't it's it can help but i think ultimately you know films have to stand on their own and if you have to bring in some extra textual stuff that becomes very difficult and very 
troublesome because it means that the film can't stand on its on its own. Now, that doesn't mean that a film can't be improved by having that extra textual stuff because we've seen that before as well. So um, it's always difficult when when those kind of situations arise because I'm always just like, let's uh, let's not do that. But, you know, sometimes a film is made better by it. And so it sucks. Yeah, I my, like, like, well, mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, like, um, Michael or Monica, do you, did either were either of you like fully aware of the situation that this movie was taking place on the periphery of? I didn't know specifically specifically about the Corpus Christi, Christi massacre, but I did know about student uprisings and things like that. Um, I mean, a lot of Latin American history is filled with those kinds of things. Like my family is from Cuba. So we have our own, you know, set of revolutions and things like that. So I'm not just like unfamiliar with the the premise of just like living through chaos um, and having that on the outside while you're still also, you know, trying to have a family breakfast. And, you know, the kids are talking about like, oh, so-and-so, you know, saw a soldier and, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are those are still, you know, life goes on. And the chaos can be right outside, you know, the store window. Yeah, because this was something that I um, I sort of went through with um, Something in the Air by uh, Olivier Assayas. Mm-hmm. Um, to, but what's weird is that while I was equally as like, ignorant or just like not fully versed in the whole situation, for some reason that movie, you know, and the, the two movies are are fairly dissimilar but like it didn't it didn't strike me as much and i think part of it might have just been like because i wasn't as invested in the story of of cleo um on a personal level i was kind of like grappling to see if maybe like a broader historical context would have lended me some more empathy is a really dark way of putting it or like more understanding <laughs> that might have like helped We're gonna to... Have to go in on this um <laughs> but i was gonna say i you know something in the air is so much more tied to those student protest movement like this is only just like a little bit out on the periphery of what's going on in roma it's a lot more about the family drama it's a lot more about cleo's relationship with the family it's more about what cleo's going through in her yeah, own life that you know nobody else asked her about in the house darn it um (laughs) but uh i was gonna uh, also add you know it's it's just because you're not you know on a first name basis with the exact historical moment that that was happening in i don't think that takes away from what's going on like you can see a student protest you can see shooting in the street and know it's bad and know that this is going to be a problem um, and oh, yeah, it, it plays out and without, you know, going into spoilers, it plays out, it played out for me on a thematic level on just mm-hmm. like, okay. you know, yeah. So it wasn't exactly like this was a point he wanted to make exactly about the student protest movement. Um, it was more about, you know, Cleo's relationships. Yeah. And, but, and, and that makes total sense. I guess part of me was just like, maybe if I understood the 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 reason behind this like maybe that plays in in some sort of like Mad Men esque way of like you know he's really playing the one story off the other because like like I said you know mm-hmm. I have been deeply moved by many of his films and mm-hmm. I'd never felt the kind of alienation from character that I had felt in in this particular film 
Um, well, the three films that you cited were all English language films. Yeah, and I was, I was wondering that about that. Well. Um, yeah, because you didn't say Itu Mama Tambien. Oh, I was actually going to say I, I did love Itu Mama Tambien. Okay, um, well, but when the, the previous <laughs> the previous films that I'd cited, I was going purely on the um, like how much production behind the scenes sure. CGI stuff well. was necessary. But no, uh, Itu Mama Tambien, I really liked as well. So part of me wonders, and uh, I'd be curious to know uh, how you all feel about this. Um, is there a part of you that like when a movie <laughs> And this is going to sound crazy, but when a movie is like too handsomely made and like just too gorgeous, like does it ever kind of keep you at arm's length from the characters and the story? Like, is that is that a thing that only I experience? I think it it happens to me pretty regularly. I mean, uh, uh, Denis Villeneuve is one director who's con- uh, consistently kind of kept me away, partly because of what I can simply call slickness, but is also far more complicated than that. But I, I, I think in response to what you're talking about a little bit in relation to the, to the political circumstances, I, is I think that I, I, I didn't know the exact circumstance or I didn't know the exact context of the Corpus Christi massacre or, you know, um, you know, even the specifics of the uh, politics there. But I, I think that what's interesting about even before that sequence, you know, from maybe the time they're at the, uh, the, the friends, uh, Hacienda, I guess is what it would be uh, from then on. I, I found it interesting that they're kind of foregrounding these different spheres. You, you know, you have, uh, the domestic sphere of Cleo with the, you know, caring for the children and then how that collides with more political things, whether it's the Corpus Christi thing or, um, well, not the Corpus Christi thing, but for instance, how those characters are drawn into things that, um, express larger things about the country as a whole. So those things I I think were less about knowing information than rather, than being able to um, just, uh, you know, find your find your way in. I, I mean, I do think nonetheless, though, that like to go back to a little bit about the aesthetic, I think there is something about this aesthetic, especially combined with it being memory. Um, it, interestingly enough, uh, Quaron said that he shot this in black and white in part because he wanted it to feel as contemporary as possible. So that like fascinating, um, well, digital black and white. Or, yes. I'm sorry. Digital black and white, but the, the dissonance, uh, between, sure, and I can see that between the, the formal choices as well as the, uh, it, it, it being memory and it being a period piece and also, you know, bringing in. Um. Oh my! Of course, I forgot my train of train of thoughts. <laughs> Anyone at home playing Michael Bingo? <laughs> no, oh. but like, but I I think that is um. I I think that's in in part something that I had a little bit of difficulty, like like you, uh, Brian, like that. But I think as it went on, um that certain dissonance again became part of it. But I, I think, uh, I, I guess the last thing I would say about that is that dissonance then again, just added 
to the weird sense of distance that I felt of Quaron telling the story of his nanny. And again, as Bill said, it, it's it's a really not a super productive conversation if we start going into uh, wh- what did Quaron intend or anything like that. But I still think it's interesting that you and I, Brian, both seem to have I, – I don't know if I'd say – an icky experience, but at least pause with what to make about this story and especially where it culminates. Yeah. And I, um, I will, we'll have to talk about it in spoilers. I would say that like my feelings weren't icky until like one specific scene that happens, which I, I feel like we will, we will talk about at length when the time Is comes it right near the end. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about no? it. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, okay. different scenes. Um, I guess I kind of want to address a little bit about it because that is becoming like kind of the big conversation, and it's weirding me out a bit because I am talking to a lot of other Latinos who have seen this film, um, and not just Latino critics, but other you know audiences who are getting the chance to see it. And a lot of the conversation is how how much they relate to Cleo or they know someone like Cleo or their mother is like Cleo, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be. There's an entry point for them in this movie that I don't think I've seen in any time recent other than like maybe Coco, you know, Mm. um, Mm. in those kind of conversations. Um, I, I've done some reading and looking over uh, Quaron's statements and what he said. And, um, you know, yes, he did interview Liebel. He did, she did come and visit the set and sometimes, um, you know, got to see like her life recreated. And, you know, that I imagine is a, is a bit of an experience too. Um, and she's also, you know, shown up at a few festivals and she has been a part of the story. He's not just like, okay, cool. I interviewed her for her side and then, you know, she's done. Like some Um, kind of narrative vampire, you know? Yeah. 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 (laughs) You know, it happens with journalists where, you know, we parachute into a place, we get our story and we get right back out. There's no follow up. We're not going to check with the sources and see if they're okay with the way that we wrote it. You know, um, what I, I do appreciate that about his approach is that he did take her into consideration and her story and learned about her as a person. You know, um, one of the things that he cited was that as a child, he just didn't understand that Cleo led a different life because she just lived in the house. And he, she had been working for his family since he was nine months old. So that's essentially his second mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is a phrase um, for domestic workers, you know, doing a lot of child caretaking, um, they're sometimes called the second mother because mm-hmm. they're just always there. And they sometimes do a lot of the emotional work that, you know, either the parents just don't have time for, not available for. Um, there was a film they, called that a few that, years yeah, ago. Yeah, it's a Brazilian too, film. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. which is a wonderful film. Um, also really good. There's a great piece on Romesco right now about uh, the films about domestic workers in Latin America um, by Latin American directors. But the problem is, the, in the conversation in that piece basically uh, boils down to because of the means of production and who gets to tell those stories, they're always told from the perspective of the privileged director, whether it's Coron, whether it's a director of Second Mother, whoever it may be. 
but then you, the other alternative is what? We don't have those stories. We just erase sure. that portion of the population and we don't hear from those communities. I like the fact that at least, you know, Lebo is involved with the project in some way. Uh, you know, I don't want her get to have to come out of retirement and take up filmmaking in order for her to tell her story, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. no, uh, absolutely. And it, and it yeah. is, <clears throat> it is to this film's credit that she is the main character. You know, I think it would yeah. be easy for, <laughs> hey, it's the second episode in the row where we're going to talk about the help. Um, it would be it would be super easy to, like, make the child, uh, like, Quaron's child avatar, like, the main character. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. and now it yeah. sounds terrible, right? Yeah. I mean, well, so. When, when people started to say that Roma was, like, the Mexican version of the help, I got angry immediately because the story mm-hmm. centers her experience more than anyone else's. Yeah, exactly. In the movie, there's no white savior that comes in and helps her, you know, her Mm -hmm. life goes on. Yeah. And I I think that um, to that end, like, it's weird to to be as cool as I am on this movie, because for as much as like I was left kind of unmoved emotionally, again, academically, there were so many things that I, I, I really loved about this film, including, you know, the foregrounding of her story and, um, kind of the way that like this movie shows a a kind of female solidarity against like an uncaring patriarchal society and and things like that that like really affected me and I was like really happy that I was seeing them on screen I should say that I saw this movie uh also via screener on my home television with uh my chintzy surround sound and um it's it's a great experience, clearly, uh, but I am actually looking forward to hopefully going out and seeing this again in an actual real deal theater because Same. I feel like I want to see it again anyway, because okay. maybe like in that rewatch, I will find, you know, I, I will be able to move past the technical awe of the film and kind of find my heart in it. Um, but also just because I, I kind of want to be immersed in it more. I want the bigger screen and the uh, the better sound, I feel like that will be not like the the thing that tips it into being a super great, awesome movie in my eyes, but at least like will help me to better explore it. Yeah, yeah. I I did want to add real quick in the whole like Quarong adapting the story um, out of his and Lebo's memories. It's I'm glad that he didn't project like more of her interiority. Like he didn't need to dictate and create all this extra stuff for her. Um, he kind of leaves that to Yalitza to be able to, you know, figure out what her emotions and what she wants to convey. And that's why I think a lot of people feel this sort of distance. It's because he's not, you know, kind of spoon feeding an interior narrative for her. She's not spelling out every motivation. Um, and this is her first time acting, correct? Yeah, she's a completely non-actor. Yeah, she was fantastic. She just like I think got her degree in order to like teach, uh, mm-hmm. and then she she got into this casting call. Didn't even know who Quarong was and got the part. I had heard, and uh, you know, you you hear things about this uh, about people who are found this way. I'd heard that like she wasn't even she wasn't even going to be the one who was going to audition. She was like going to drive someone else. It was her sister. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I love that. Um, this is a terrible, uh, terrible human being to bring up, but I think Mel Gibson was discovered in the same way. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of non-actors that are found in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, Yelitsa is 
is so great in this movie. Like she is from the yeah. moment that you first see her, she's sure. just like a, a compelling, just like humming, vibrant screen presence. And and you know, if if there's anything that um. I was going to say if there's anything that got me through this movie, but there was honestly a lot that got me through this movie. I didn't have trouble making my way through this, but like, I feel like, you know, you, without her at the center of it, like, I can't even imagine. It's one of those perfect storms. Like I can't imagine who else they would have been able to find to be this part to play Cleo. Cause sure. she's just, she's so there. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's incredibly impressive. Well, I- I feel like the same the same way we should also praise the mother because she has almost a, a more difficult role because she has to be tough with Cleo and and her own situation and then also has to balance like you have to forgive her because you start to realize like what she's going through and that's that's a tough narrative to be able to balance because it's very easy to play evil it's very easy to play good but playing that gray in between and and being able to put that on the screen without actually verbalizing that that's uh it, it's also pretty difficult i think so um i was impressed with her as well um i don't have her name off the top of my head but yeah it's, uh, marina de uh, tavira yeah um, and she is an actress mm-hmm. it, it doesn't seem like i or i uh i was just looking i thought okay she has been in a number of other things but um I, you know what? One other thing I, I guess I talked about briefly with her earlier is that, like, I also think, uh, adding on to what you're saying, Bill, about the ways she talks to her children and the ways she talks to Cleo and the ways that she talks to, um, I, I'm not sure whether that's, I can't remember whether that's her mother or her husband's mother, but, um, you, you know, the ways that she talks to all those people. Uh, you know, we were talking about the favorite a few weeks ago and, and the ways that uh, people have to turn on a dime in a conversation. And as you're saying, like, she's not, you know, even when she's the most um, stern or, you know, potentially uncaring about Cleo's possible situation, like there's still that glimmer of like humanity, even if she's expressing it in the most, you know, kind of, passive aggressive way so i i just I, I found her character so interesting in the ways that she specifically has to deal or, or not deal but uh how she speaks with cleo um we should move into spoilers um yes before we do i do want to just you know i clicked on marina uh de uh, tavira's uh, imdb listing and she was in mm-hmm. a 2017 movie that was called how to break up with your douchebag which I just, uh, that's the that's the that's the next movie I'm watching. I don't care how I have to do it. I'm going to watch it because that is a title. But let us let us dive into spoilers for Roma. Um, I've also before we do that, I'm just going to say like even though I may sound distant and unmoved by this film, I 100% think that this is a movie to watch, and that anyone with even a passing interest should check it out and hopefully, you know, you'll be able to find it in a theater. Same. (laughs) Cool. All right. (laughs) So let's talk spoilers for Roma. Um, Michael, I'm curious, which scene did you think that I thought was going to be the icky one? (laughs) 
Um, is it the the beach scene? No, it was the childbirth one. Yeah, that uh, that was rough. I yeah. I I don't know. Like I, I maybe this is how I can actually talk more about my. Uh, my weirdness with this being Quaron telling the story without bringing in the outside thing. It, it's very strange that this is the culmination of this film because like, I, I, I think that previous to that, it does such a good job in being able to build her character um, while having, you know, while doing this great thing where, you know, during the day, you're seeing her do all of the things in the house, whether it's housework, whether it's, uh, you know, working with the kids. And then you see her outside life and dating and all of that stuff I thought was done so well. But I just I, – I get it, but I feel very strange about culminating in these two major scenes, the Corpus Christi scene and the childbirth scene. Uh, both of those seem like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the trigger just so we can actually talk about this. They seem the closest to possibly being exploitation to me, which is strange because on their own they seem like fantastic. They're fantastic pieces of acting. They're fantastic pieces of. It's an unbroken take for the childbirth one. Like they are you know, magnificent if I dissect them. But within the context of the movie, I really don't know what to make of where they are placed and the priority they're they're given. Because it doesn't just read to me like another example uh, of a day in this woman's life. If I may. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I was really moved by the the hospital scene. That was the the part that finally broke me um, just emotionally because it's, you know, this had been leading up because you do see that she gets in a relationship. She goes on a date. The guy stands her up, runs off. Um, and then she's left literally by herself to deal with this tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it's, it's going to kind of distant in a way that I think sometimes if we're ever in a really traumatic situation, I, you kind of disassociate from your body. Hmm. Um, that was what it tapped into my head. Um, and that's how I rationalized everything that was going on. And you just felt her loneliness in the Uh middle of that scene. So profoundly, there's Mm -hmm. not even someone there holding her hand, not even, um, and that scene itself in terms of technicality, like apparently Korong didn't tell Yalisa what was going to happen. Um, he didn't tell her that the baby was not going to live. So she, you know, when it was wow. going to do the scene and like, okay. And is also waiting and keeps looking over nervously. Cause she's also expecting some sort of a sign that, you know, that there's a cry or something. No, that does not come. Uh, the doctors in that scene are also real doctors. So they are actually doing like mm. real CPR and like, they're just doing their business and it's just mm-hmm. cut and dry. Um, very minimal, minimal bedside manner at all. Um, because it's an emergency room. You're in an operation. Um, so I, it just, for me in that moment, it also, as a woman tapped into just like that ultimate nightmare. Cause that, sure. you know, I've, I've not had kids yet, but that is something in the back of my head. Just like, that is a very real, and I've had those nightmares of just like getting to that point of, you know, 
having a baby and then it's gone. So um, all of these things. And then that was the big, you know, that happened to Lebo. That was, that was part of her sure. story. So it's not like, well, he can't make the baby live now, you know? Yeah, it's not. He's not just like, what is the cruelest thing I could do to this character that sure. I created? Right. Um, which is something yeah. that I feel like I'm going to be able to complain about on a different podcast about a different movie that we have on the books. But this, you know, in this moment with this with this film, I um, I don't know. Like, I, there was just something about there's something about, like again, just like the the formal rigor and the technical bravado of that scene. And again, like I, this is kind of why I asked earlier about uh, people who, who maybe sometimes feel like the, the technical aspects will get between them and the characters. Cause I was like sitting there, I'm like, Oh, it's like all one take, you know, it's, it's another uh, Alfonso Cuaron loves to have a baby born on screen. Um, mm-hmm. And but I don't know. There was just something. There was something about that, about like the level of of command and control that he had over that scene and the staging and everything, that just made it. I don't know. Like I just, it just, it's it's a weird double standard to hold someone to to be like, if you have a car chase, I'd love it to be like the best constructed car chase sure. ever, and I don't care what you have to do. But when you're showing a woman, you know, giving birth to a stillborn child, I maybe like don't be so awesome. Like it just, <laughs> sure. yeah, so it's super stationary, but there's also, I don't know. I really like that though, because if, if you ever do end up in an emergency room or that kind of situation, it's not chaos. It's not people running and yelling everywhere. Like they do on television. It's a lot of, you know, very cold and, you know, people have their stations to go to and people sure. are doing what, what one job they have, they're doing mm-hmm. it. Oh yeah. And I mean, that's what I was, he got really perfectly. Yeah, and I—I I mean, like, I was in the—I um, was in the room for all like ten hours of my wife's labor, Ooh, and yeah. um, I became—I was like deputized as a nurse. Did I tell this story on this podcast? I don't well, I haven't so. heard it. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, like, so we get to the hospital, and you know, this is like the eighteenth time we've been to the hospital because the end of her pregnancy was very rough, and so we were going a lot, mm. and um. And this time they were like, okay, the baby is actually coming this time. I was like, great. I've got the bags. I've got everything. I'm going to be in the room with you. And, you know, the, the, the nurses are there. The doctor is like coming in like for five minutes, once every three hours, just because like they got to check up. And, um, and there was a point where there was just me, one other nurse and my wife. And they were like, Hey, so like you're you you've been like a steady hand this whole time. Like, you know, when they did the uh the epidural, apparently like I had to like be on a different corner of the room and sit down because like 90% of guys faint even if they're not like literally watching it go in. Um and I had been such a steady hand that they were like, "So, could you just want to, can you help us?" And I was like, "Yeah, I, tell me tell me what to do." They're like, "Great. Um grab her leg, pull it up here. Um you know, count tell her to breathe and then like check it out and let us know what's going on. I was like, isn't this type of thing that you got to go to med school for? (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, no, no, it's fine. Cause you know, the nurse was doing other stuff. I don't even remember because I was so focused on what I had to do. And she's like, you know, do you see like, is there, is there any change? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, there is a change. And she's like, well, like, what is it? And I was like, I don't know the medical terms for it. But, and then I made 
a horrifying analogy. And the, <laughs> the nurse is like, oh, that's perfect. Okay, I'm going to come and help you now. And I was like, great. Thank you for that. And then, what was the analogy? Indict yourself. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ, Michael. Uh, the the analogy. I mean, she's she's my daughter, so I can say this. The analogy was: it looks like there is a peeled orange, <laughs> and that was uh that was my daughter's head coming hey. out. Yeah. So sorry, podcast listeners. I hope you weren't eating. <laughs> but um, and then the doctor came in, and she was like, "How's everything going? Oh, great. Here." And then just like. And then it was over and the doctor was like, okay, perfect. Great. I'll be back in half an hour. And I was like, yeah, what are you? I got other doctor shit to do. Yeah. yeah. She's like, I just did a C-section. I'm just here to see how this is going. Oh, okay. It's going very well here. Let me just, and then it was done. And she's like, great. I have another C-section to do. I was like, holy shit. This yeah. is insane. So I did. She was like, you want to help with another one? <laughs> I was I was literally surprised that they weren't like, so uh, you ever thought about joining the ranks? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, they were like, a man like you. <laughs> they, were, they were literally like, because orange peelers, please. You know, there's a lot of weird stuff that like goes into it. Like, you know, they're like, oh, would you like a mirror? And my wife was like, fuck, no, I don't want a mirror. Um, and they're like, you know, some men like to like stand by their wife's head so they don't have to see anything either. And I was like, look, you put me where you got to put me and I'll help out. Cause my, my daughter entering the world is my greatest priority right now. And they're like, okay, good. We're going to put you to work. Um, so I did appreciate that. I appreciated the kind of like the, the realism of that scene because, there really is nothing that annoys me more now as a man who has been through all that. When I see movies that like really make a big deal out of it as though it's like the first time the doctors have ever helped in a birth or anything. Right. And, um, you know, not to pull this card out, but as the father of a child, it was very hard for me to watch a baby being stillborn on screen because that really is like one of your greatest fears going into it is that like, you know, you've been to all these appointments, you've heard the heartbeat, you've seen her grow, and now, for whatever reason, something could go wrong, and it's it's not going to, you know, this this event that you've been waiting for for 10 months is is suddenly gone. Um, so it was, really, I, I, it was really difficult. It was really hard to watch. And for some reason, I don't know, it just felt like, like, as much as I loved, like, the doctor who was doing the compressions and like how, uh, how matter of fact he was, you know, he wasn't like banging his fist against the wall and damning the gods, you know, things like that. But it just, for some reason, I, I felt really pulled out of the movie and I was just like, it's just such a weird personal private thing that I'm watching. And like, maybe my discomfort is just telling you how good the direction and the acting in that scene is and how affecting it really is. It's like affecting to the point that like I shut down as a defensive mechanism, but there was something about it that again, just like kept me on the outside. Like there wasn't a trap door that I could move through that made it feel safe to feel the emotions that I knew should be there. I I think it's interesting because I think one thing that you are kind of touching on is, you know, Michael brought up this on the, on the Slack channel, but, 
uh, you know, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. Like it would be weird to watch that sequence in like 48 frames or uh, what is it? Like 106 frames per second in, in like 3D, right? Uh, and so I feel like that's kind of your situation, Brian, where it's heightened because of your own connection to it. And so you're like, why is this shot so fucking well that like I'm feeling really weird and having an out of body experience watching that? because to be honest with you i didn't even notice that that was a one shot cut because i was so wrapped up in the story at that time that i wasn't noticing those kind of technical details like i that that completely went over my head that's that's the kind of stuff that i noticed maybe on the second or third watch Mm. um not on the first one usually uh it's only when something isn't clicking narrative wise that i start paying attention to technical details and so i'm not sure if you know you clocked in or clocked out somewhere around that time or if it was just that sequence and what was going on I think the other the other alternative, which is even related to what Bill is saying, is that I'm realizing it's it's kind of a double standard that you know if this was in a more naturalistic way, you know it's it's odd. This scene actually reminded me of uh, four months, three weeks, and two days, which is like a film that is very rigorous, but not at all in the way of uh, of this film. But and it's interesting because you know. I, I think even just to speak about this film in a larger sense, like, you know, on the art house circuit, you do get a lot of films um, at, made by auteurs and otherwise, uh, you know, often focusing on um, people in lower income situations or, you know, specifically housekeepers. And, and those, because they are, you know, done in the cinema verite way, I generally don't generally don't have a problem with them. So I, I I do almost want to check myself a little bit on some of the 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 formal hesitations I have with this because it feels unfair to strike it down for, you know, going into something like magical realism or something like that, you know, even if it because it's not necessarily that it takes me out. It, it's more that I I, I don't I, I for some reason don't feel comfortable with it becoming drama in like such a cinematic way, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I just recently watched uh, the Lebanese film uh, Capernaum, which is also all sure. with non-actors. It's about child abuse and neglect. Um, it's really tough to watch. But it's very, it's very much done in that cinema verite way. Uh, like even, it, it it could almost seem like a documentary if it wasn't so well composed in certain moments. Um, yeah, and, and in this case, yeah, this is so. I mean, it's black and white. Things are done on an epic scale. Like even just her running. I love the scene of her running down Mexico City streets to the theater, and you get to see yeah. like a big scope of the actual neighborhood. Um, yeah, we don't, we're not used to seeing those kinds of stories put on that stage. And that's, that is, a, that is, I won't say a weird thing, but it is a notable thing about this movie is like, like Michael was saying, and like you said, like that cinema verite is kind of what you expect for like a movie like this. And you would expect these like grand compositions and, you know, the, the incredibly stylistic 
camera work to like be applied to, you know, like children of men or gravity or something like that, you know, like, and it is, it is kind of weird, like how, how the, like the, the craft of the film is so elevated to tell this very like personal, very intimate story. Um, Monica, you brought up the, the scene in the, uh, the theater, Mm-hmm. which uh it might be like my favorite shot of the movie just like the two of them in that space oh yeah with everything going on and the way that like the lights change as the movie ends and they come up and i mean like it's on. <laughs> it, it is it's just another one of those like slow moving train wreck dawning realizations that like oh it's not gonna be okay mm-hmm. um sure you know, but it's it, still swoons. <laughs> yeah, in, and yeah, in that moment, it's so gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, "This is one of those things where, like, you know, th- like this is this is like a movie that I'm surprised hasn't launched like a hundred Twitter accounts that are just like, you know, the perfect frames of Roma, you know, and just like don't encourage. Don't, don't, I was gonna say, don't speak it, don't speak it. <laughs> I purposefully didn't name a specific Twitter account that I'm sure we we're all thinking of. Um, so what I was going to say is like, yeah, I mean, like in a moment like that, for some reason, I was like more OK with that, even though it really is like the same thing. It's like her going through something and thinking it's going to be OK and then like having to realize that it's not. It's 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 almost the same thing. Like he leaves her in exactly the same way that like her her child leaves her, except like he's being an asshole <laughs> and her yeah, child I was gonna say, there's choice involved <laughs> yeah and her, her child is like you know you could almost say like he is taken away by his his you know bad personality and her child is taken away by like god and it's just That's too dweeb <laughs> i don't know if i would yeah you know I... <laughs> well that I mean... kind of ties to the the beach scene and what she says there and the whole big reconciliation that happens because that's I've also read some people really say that they that that rubbed them the wrong way or that that felt really artificial like uh just the moment where um uh Cleo has to go rescue the kids in the water um she gets really scared and even though she can't swim she goes into the water rescues them the mother comes back the the other two siblings they all hug and then Cleo says in her in all her grief and I'm being scared and just everything just allowed this emotional outpour to come out that she'd you know been repressing for since the mm-hmm. ba- she lost the baby that she didn't want the child. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was one of the moments that also really helped hit me. Not that I did get scared because these kids were missing and I was, you know, also holding my breath and like, oh God, those kids better come out. <laughs> um, but the moment that really hit me was she was in that moment allowed to really be honest with her employer because it's very much throughout the film. There's moments where um, Sophia is the the mother character name. Uh, she, she pulls rank and she reminds mm-hmm. her of the hierarchy that like, yes, we may be going through, you know, men are trash shit, but we are not, you know, co- you know, we're not the same. Um, and she reaffirms her place as the boss. And in that moment, like, there, she was allowed to say that she was still hurting from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I actually, I, um, I really loved that scene. Um, yeah, I that did scene too. brought me back and like, it didn't bring me back. Cause again, I didn't like leave the movie, but I think <laughs> that that scene acts as like a very 
like smart, true continuation of that hospital scene. Cause in uh-huh. that scene, she's like very shut down and, and kind of in shock and finally out there on the beach after having like saved these other two children is finally able to like give voice to this idea that she had, you know, that like she didn't, she didn't really even want that baby. Like, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the father had like walked out on her and then like the last time she saw him, he was stone cold murdering someone in a, in a department store. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm curious why people would be not against that scene, but like have a problem with that scene. Cause I feel like that's, that's the type of thing that you feel when something like that happens. Like, is it, you know, it, it just makes sense that like she would be walking around with that. Cause obviously she can't say that to anyone because it would seem callous. But in that moment, after having saved those children, it becomes clear that like, you know, she's, she's hurting because the idea is like, did, did the baby die because I didn't want it? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, even if you, even if like you, you give birth and like, you're going to love that child, you know, but like, yeah, it just, it, it's, it's, um, I mean, that's another thing that people don't tell you about parenthood. Like you're, you're super scared of like not measuring up. Um, you know, you get, you get real nervous cause like everyone's like, Oh, it's going to change you. You're going to see your child and you're going to fall in love immediately. And like, even as I was helping my wife and a team of doctors and nurses to deliver my daughter, there was like a part of me deep inside. That's like, let's remember, Brian, you're a broken human being and you can't love anyone. <laughs> and, um, you have to be prepared that like, you may see this child and like feel nothing. Um, which is, again, like a super dark idea, but it's like something that had been inside of me. And luckily I didn't have that problem. Uh, I love my daughter more than life itself, but it's like, it reminds me of that, um, Mad Men episode. Why do we keep bringing up Mad Men? When Don Draper talks about like how, you know, he knows that his own father didn't love him and he was worried that he would like have to continue faking loving his own son but then like you see your child do something that's just so good and so wonderful and suddenly like you feel the real thing and it's great because you know that you are in love with them but then you're also more aware of the fact that you've been faking it before and like <laughs> it's incredibly difficult to like talk about being a parent when your child lives and i just can't imagine you know in her situation as alienated as she was from, from everyone who might understand. And in that kind of hierarchical family unit that she was a part of, like how lonely that was. And so that, that scene on the beach was incredibly moving. I think the wonderful thing about that scene too, is, you know, like uh, that was a time where I'm like, you kill a kid. I'm going to be real mad about this movie. (laughs) You kill another kid. (laughs) That's, that's right. Oh, geez. But yeah, and but I I think that was immediately after I realized what was actually happening. You're like, oh no, that is the only possible way this could have gone to actually, you know, continue the the arc of the the movie. So like, that is the type of thing, you know. He he zigs when you expect him to to zag to you know take the most trite uh, description possible. But you know, as far as one. You know, one scene we haven't talked about that I did. The duck fucking? (laughs) 
not, not the yes, ducks. The not ducks the having sex. It was the um, when they're putting out the fire, and there's a one person singing what I assume to be some kind of <laughs> what the what the fuck song. is going on there? Who is that? Who like what is he playing? Is he is that some kind of mystical like uh f- like Father New Year's? Like what is that thing? I I did not think it was Father New Year's, but I I don't know. Is that a thing? I didn't know there was a Father New Year. I, I don't know if there is. I know there's he, like the old man and the baby. Something. Yeah, no, no, no. but this was this looked more like almost a monster. It was it was like a costume party um, for the New Year, and the way that I understood it was I didn't see anybody to show, else dressed up though. Oh, the little boys and um. What do you call it? An astronaut suit and other kids oh, are in right. costumes. And then okay, the, the okay, parents okay. aren't really dressed up, but that's not unusual for for like those kind of parties where it's just like, yeah, this shit's for the kids. Um, <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Okay. okay. That that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it, and and so he's yeah, the one it, he's the one adult that's like going overboard yeah, and everybody he, else is like this yeah. fucking guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the cool Tio who's obviously super loaded and just like seeing into the forest fire. Um, but for that scene, you can see like all the the folks who are who work the land, those uh-huh. all the peasantry are working to put out the fires, and all the bougie people are like, "I have a cup. Where yeah. can I put this little bit of water? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be sure yeah, not go, to get burned. Like they're just, yeah, they're being go, so go stomp out that little fire over there. <laughs> like don't worry. Like I I found it it's, so it's, so. Someone talked about it. Oh yeah, sorry. I found it so hectic and chaotic that like they're dealing with like the small stuff and like the actual workers are like, Oh fuck. Like this is a crop that I have to like till and like work on. Like you dumbasses are over here like drunk and like, I'm having to put out this fire basically by myself. And I remember like looking at them, like start to build the, the line for the buckets. And like Mm -hmm. that quickly goes nowhere real quick. And I was just like, wow, this is not organized at all. It's also, um, so I think someone brought up earlier about the different bubbles, uh, for, for like the different like social circles and the different, you know, meetings and stuff. Um, and that was obviously one of the big ones was just like the working class got to, you know, protect the house, got to protect the forest around it. Cause otherwise it could be dangerous. Uh, and the, and the rich people don't care cause you know, there's, there's no stake in it, but there's also a moment in the house in several scenes actually where, um, Cleo speaks Mistec, which is an indigenous indigenous language from the Oaxaca region, mm-hmm. and uh, the kids don't understand what she says. And one of the youngest basically tells her, "Stop speaking in that language. I don't know what you're saying." So it's one of those moments where it kind of direct. It's not as direct, uh, confrontational kind of way, but it does bring that sort of attention, like these these little circles kind of exist in all these different spaces and they clash all the time. They don't always get addressed, but they're, they're there. Is, is this the film? Am, am I 
smashing together two uh, two other films. Uh, is this the film where we see like indigenous language, like in subtitle underneath it, and like it doesn't have any like actual captions? It's just no, no. You this, know they that- had captions, but it was if it was in brackets, it was um yes, mixed tech. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for saving me from having to try to say that myself. And, yeah. and it must have been some other film where people are speaking in like an indigenous language. I think. Yeah. I can't this, remember what this movie is. opens and says like you know uh, Miss Miss sure. Tech is in brackets. Yeah, uh, Spanish is not in brackets, and all other languages are not subtitled. Mm-hmm. The, the two nannies speak to each other. Is it Adela? Adela and Cleo. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Do they speak uh, Mixteco then? Or yeah, Ms. to each other. Yeah. To each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and actually, Elisa also didn't know that language, so uh, her friend Nancy Garcia Garcia had to teach her that and oh, coach God. her through the, reading all of those lines. Oh, I didn't totally. I, okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah I, was I the only who paid attention to the brackets? Come on. Guys. No, I, I no, I noticed the brackets. I just didn't catch. Someone's got to watch the movie again. <laughs> I, I'm going to. I'm going to watch it in the theater. You know, I picked up on that. I still want to watch it again, though. Um. I actually found that kind of interesting because um, the the nanny that I had who was all oldest when I was the oldest. What am I trying to say? Basically, from like second grade onward, because um, there was my sister, myself and then my younger brother. And so every Monday and Tuesday, um, we had a nanny who was over at the house. And Miss um, Leela was her name during that time period of my life. And she was from the Ukraine. And so there would be times when she would slip into Ukrainian and I would just have to like, you know, say like, uh, I don't know what you're saying to me. <laughs> and I always felt kind of weird about it, even though like it was funny. Cause like I, her daughter was in my class. Um, she had escaped from the Soviet union shortly after the disaster at Chernobyl. Um, so her daughter was born um, with uh, radiation burns. Wow. Wait, when was Chernobyl? Uh, it was like, I, th- I think it was, I mean, if her daughter was my, my, uh, my age, it had to have been like 86 or 87. Yeah. yeah. It was April of 86. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so she was pregnant. The, there was a rainstorm anyway. So like, it it's kind of it, this movie was interesting for me because it, it was interesting to watch someone who clearly had like I, my situation was different because like I was very aware that this person was not related to me, but I still ended up forging like over the course of years like a deep relationship with this woman and her daughter and her sister because her sister had come over later and I was helping both of them with like their English and um. Like, uh, they were both going to school, and so I was helping them with with their schoolwork. It was, like, a very strange situation, but, you know, like, every once in a while, they would just, they would, like, lapse into Ukrainian because it was easier for them to express themselves, and I had to just be like, I understand that you are frustrated, but I cannot help you when you speak that language. And it Mm -hmm. became a very strange thing to have to navigate because it, it, it almost in that moment did feel like I was asserting like some sort of form of dominance, even though I just, I really wanted to help them, but I just didn't speak Ukrainian at all. 
Yeah. So that, that's weird. Like there were a lot of moments in this movie between, you know, uh, Cleo's interactions with the family and then like, you know, concepts of childbirth and, and pregnancy and stuff that like really, that really struck me. Hard. I think, I think one of my favorite aspects of the film is actually the relationship between the car and the, the, parking space that it actually occupies and <laughs> how like that whole situation is navigated when the husband like pulls in the car and he's very precise and you know you don't even see him like th- the only thing that he actually moves is like the mirror and the mirror is supposed to move so it just kind of n- nicely moves right in and then he's just like boom here i am you know my car's way too fucking big for this parking spot but i make it work and just nobody else can ash off that cigarette. Yeah. And nobody <laughs> else can like, like what a fucking introduction of a character too. Um, but like nobody else can like navigate that space. And you know, the wife like ends up bringing in the car and she's a little drunk, but you can tell like more than likely she doesn't drive that vehicle too often. And then we also see that situation kind of play out on, on screen when she's like, taking uh uh cleo to the doctor and like runs in between two vehicles and Mm -hmm. just like badly scrapes her car and like it's not that long after that we see the galaxy and it's like pretty much restored back to new except for like one spot in the rear i thought like looked still damaged but everything else was like brand new and i was like yeah this woman has a lot of money (laughs) it's things like Like, that that um that made me feel the need to look up like the the corpus christi massacre and mm -hmm. um uh los halcones because you know there's so many items in this movie that uh, clearly though they may be taken from real life take on a certain allegorical significance um you know him entering so purposefully and then his wife you know once it becomes clear that he's like walking out on them not giving a shit about his car um Mm -hmm. all these visual rhymes yeah and it was just it was one of those things where i was like i have to be i have to be missing something beyond you know just like the visceral impact of like i'm going for a crib oh my god there's a massacre happening outside and spilling over into this place like and um so yeah, the the car thing was interesting. I I um I just I need to bring this up. What like oh my god, that poor dog. <laughs> <laughs> I finally got an explanation for it. Oh my god, I, please I tell us. A few times because it's like yeah, yo that that dog is uh, is that okay? And someone who had apparently a dog who also went through like there it's just a seeking attention, and the way that it's doing it is doing like protest poops. That is crazy. What is like? What is? I don't. I don't understand what what the problem <laughs> is. Like, like dogs got to poop, and uh, it seems like it's pretty lie. much. It, ah, you know. It, I mean, I, we don't. We don't really get to see a lot of like the the um. What is it? Like the time lapse, like we're not yeah. we're not told. Like here's here's the amount of poops in the courtyard at this time, time. Lapse and, bowel then, movements. and then and we then need like, like X Files yeah, style weeks, subtitles. Weeks, yeah, like two weeks later, here's the amount of poop. So Wednesday, seven forty six a.m. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like I I didn't think it was a. Uh, it's talked to a lot of amount. people, and some people have asked me about it. I'm like, I don't know. Well, was, Maybe the dog is just like neglected, and then finally someone was like. 
you know, that, that, that happens. Like dogs get angry. Cats do it too. Oh, if you don't yeah. pay attention to them. I'm used to the, I'm used to cats doing it because most of the cats that I've known have been deeply cynical, passive aggressive animals. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I was going to say though, is it did like, it was one of those things where it's like, Oh man, this dog is like locked in this courtyard and there's no grass or anything. So all it can do is go to the bathroom in the driveway and in the courtyard. And like, Every time you see them interact with the dog, it's just to keep it from getting out. But like, there was a part of me that's like, let it go. Like, you're not paying attention <laughs> to it. You're not allowing mm-hmm. it in the house that I can remember. No, like, that's that's also kind of like a cultural thing. At least when I was growing up, like dogs were perceived as dirty, so they were supposed to be outside, mm-hmm. unless you know you had a little tiny dog, in which in case, mm-hmm. okay, that's that, that's allowed in. Gotcha. Yeah. But Shawala. like a big dog, like a German Shepherd, yeah, that's not that's too big and too messy. Oh, that's, so that's. Yeah, that's just how it's kind of seen. And it's also kind of just serves, it seems like serves the purpose of a guard dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it barks at everything. So, yeah. I mean, or yeah. jumps. My, my dog, I just like, I find it interesting because, like, my dog, you know, it's like, I let it out, I let it in, I don't have that problem with it. And I'm just watching this movie and I'm like, it must be, bec- like, we have to be thinking about this in terms of, like, the dog is neglected. And part of me is like, yeah. why even have the dog? And mm. you know what you've said about the uh, the attention-seeking poop, <laughs> which is a, a phrase that I'm going to be using forever now, um, makes a lot of sense to me. That's yeah. <laughs> that plays. Um, a couple mm. other things before we wind wind up before we wrap up this uh, this conversation. Um, how many hat tips to previous films of his did you all catch in this movie? Well, I mean, birthing Sandra Bullock. Uh, so let's what, like three films in a row now? I'm sorry, birthing Sandra Bullock. Yeah, uh, is that code? When, what are you talking? No, about? <laughs> are you kidding me? Like when she goes through the birthing scene in Gravity, when she's all wrapped up in in a little ball, and then she oh. unwraps herself. That is definitely a birthing okay. scene. Yeah, and I then, get what so, you. So yeah, I didn't I realize you were talking Bullock in metaphor. In <laughs> no. Because um, clearly there's there's the movie that they're watching at a Marooned. certain point, which is very Gravity esque. Um, it's marooned. Uh, I think Preston Preston Sturgis. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, there's a shot of a woman in the street crying as she cradles a dead man, which uh, happened in uh, Children of Men. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Nice. It was it, that was so deeply specific. I get maybe because I watched Children of Men like last month, but that has always been a thing that has stuck out to me. Because in that movie, well, it's, uh, what is it, La Pieta? It's a reference to that uh, sculptor. Yes. And, uh, yeah. But in, in 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 Children of Men, that's one of those things where like you know a, a, a battle has just broken out. Um, Clive Owen is 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 moving along the streets, and the camera linger, lingers on this woman, you know, unsubtitled, just crying and screaming and cursing the gods. Um, what, what Harry Potter beast was on this? Uh, 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 the hippogriff. Oh my God. The hippogriff. Right. That was one of the things, right? Wow. How the fuck did you pull that out of your ass? I don't know. One thing stuck and it was the hippogriff. There's a hippogriff. Uh, there's a time turner. 
There's yes. um look at me. Wow. I uh, it's yeah, like I read all. the books yesterday. <laughs> it, it's almost like you only watched Azkaban. <laughs> I I saw the first two. Yeah. In, in all seriousness, I don't know if there's any E2 Mama Tambien references. I I I'm, I can't remember any off the top of my head. I feel like I only noticed gravity stuff to be honest. And then there's uh, that maybe the beach. Yeah. The trip that to the beach the reference. Maybe I'm stretching, but <laughs> are you talking about the one shot where it kind of aims at the sky? Oh, I wasn't even thinking about the shot. I was just thinking about like it's it's a trip to the beach that um, that gets them on the road trip. But I was oh, going to add right. real real quick since we mentioned the beach. Um, he had mentioned in one of like the Q- post screening Q and A's or so that I went to that for him, it was all about getting back to the elements. And there was a thing that I wrote in my notes at first. I was, I just noticed that there were lots of shots of air, earth, water, fire. And then when he said elements, I was like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> on the nose, but you know, it was actually really gorgeous just to kind of, it's very subtly like added into the film. It's not just like, Hey, you know, like avatar or so the fire nation. And <laughs> oh, I thought you meant, here. I thought you meant James, no, no. James Cameron's avatar, which is no, let's plug into the tree. Series, uh, <laughs> avatar. <laughs> You know, Clark, but that, that was really fun to see that. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm willing to hear it out. <laughs> I would I would prefer that Quaron not make an avatar. I would prefer that uh wait, wait, again, are we talking James Cameron Avatar or Avatar the Last TV Airbender? Show. Airbender. Uh, yeah, I'm talking I think, I think any goodwill is pointed towards Airbender, <laughs> Brian. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. We 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 have been promised four other Avatar movies. Right? Is we're, one of those coming next them. year? Oh, uh, no. you're on your own. Good luck with that. <laughs> Look, I, I don't want it. I'm just, I'm just saying that like it's happening. Oh no, it's yeah, it's uh, it's apparently 2020. <laughs> A whole 13 years after the first one. Mm-hmm. Kate Winslet's in it though. Oh my god, <laughs> her name is Ronal. Anyway, I know that because I'm on the IMDb page, not because I've been just going nuts Quit anyway giving that film traction every click drives up its a uh, imdb starometer anyway let's uh let's, end this. let's wrap up <laughs> yeah i was about to say we've gotten to that punchy point where we're just talking about randomness um does anyone have any final thoughts regarding this film that we haven't had a chance to uh to talk about why did he shoot at himself do we know uh- Yes, because, uh, well, Chivo was supposed to do it, Emmanuel Lubezki, and then unfortunately because of scheduling conflicts, he had to drop out. So Quran just said, I'll do it. <laughs> does, does he have like a background or is it just no, like he... No, just, he just studied and worked with Chivo for so long because a lot of the style is sure. somewhat similar uh-huh. and he's clearly picked up a trick or two. So yeah, yeah he just uh, went in on it. F- fucking fucking kind of good at it i guess i guess that's similar to uh paul thomas anderson a, a bit right sure yeah what what a jerk you, you can't be good at everything it's not allowed i had the same reaction <laughs> yes bradley well, cooper i was about to say alfonso coron and bradley cooper like two Ugh. two things where i like walked out of the movie and i was like good movie fuck that guy <laughs> 
<laughs> so mad at Not him. <laughs> Why can't he be bad at like one thing? Um, whatever. I bet they can't make a grilled cheese to save their lives. Um, <laughs> Monica, any other thoughts or ideas that you had about this film that we didn't have time to visit? No. Okay. Michael? <laughs> no. All right. Cool. In that case, let us wrap up for now. Again, I don't either. <laughs> well, Bill, I, I figured that your whole "why did he shoot it himself" thing was your—that oh, okay, was your okay. one shot. That's fine. That's fine. This <laughs> one shot. Yeah, you get one, one. perfect shot. One perfect. Shot. <laughs> oh no! Oh, Monica, we were having such a good time. <laughs> why did you have to do that? All right. And on my way out. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the verbal equivalent of throwing a Molotov cocktail into the party that you're leaving. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. So that's it for today. Uh, Roma is currently out in limited release and is uh, doing quite well. And I just looked, Very it good. actually is around me. So that's good news. So it's probably around you, fine listener. Um, of course, Not just if you... for the coastal elite. Yes. And in fact, because of Netflix, it is now more democratized than ever. Wait a second. Did you say not just for the coastal elite? I live in Washington, D.C. I'm coastal elite as hell. (laughs) You are the definition of coastal elite. I'm I'm not saying because it's at your place that it's not for the coastal elite. I'm saying that because it's expanding and in like 600 theaters, hopefully. Maybe some of those are in the heart. It's well into the middle of this country i am um, i was gonna say i could only be more coastal elite if i was from new york and i am uh i was born in new york so like just double dipping on the coastal elite yikes wow <laughs> good time to go um so it's on netflix when you're hearing this probably uh so check it out it's really good we really liked it i look forward to seeing it again when you hit the search bar it's r-o-m-a and that's it. So just just helping y'all navigate because, you know, sometimes Netflix has a habit of... I was about uh, to hide- say, because Netflix hides oh, yeah. its light under seven bushels. <laughs> Speaking right. of, E Happy as Lazaro, it is also on Netflix and very, very good. Yeah. Um, also speaking of Netflix, um, pretty soon we're going to be recording our review uh, belated of The Ballad of Buster Scruggs the newest film from the Coen brothers. So look forward to that as well. Uh, again, we are brought to you by Mubi for a free 30 day trial. Go to M U B I.com slash film stage. There's a lot of great stuff on there. You can watch it on your smart TV, your laptop, your phone, if you're a monster. And again, that is M U B I.com slash film stage. Don't forget to also go to patreoncom slash the film stage show to give us your money. And uh, wait, I, I feel like I need to say this. Did you guys see the Ted Sarandos story about Roma, where he said people will love watching yeah, this I on their phone? No, Ted Sarandos' no. son, yeah, I believe it was. Yes. So the film loved, student apparently. Yes, <laughs> said he loved watching it on his phone. No, he said he loved watching Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, on Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, that I'm was sorry. yes. I remember yeah. that. He's like, he lo- it's Three his favorite movie, and he's only on ever phone. seen it on his phone. How do you do that? I just like my arm hurts. Right. Like, I don't know. did he get one of those weird, like suction cup pigs that like cutely <laughs> holds your phone up on a table? Like what, just what are the physics of that? Let's, let's all I, just hope he meant that he was Chromecasting it. Right. <laughs> yeah. He, he used sure. his phone to put it on yeah. the smart TV. Um, 
Anyway, um, death of the cinematic movie-going experience aside, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Let's tell the fine folks at home where they can find us online. Uh, let us start with our guest, Monica. Thank you. You can find me on Twitter at mcastimovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. Excellent. Bill Graham. You can find me making my grave with my screeners right now uh, on <laughs> Twitter at CableBFG, and then also on the Slack channel. My cat, um, I won't call it my cat, my wife and daughter's cat has legitimately made a fortress out of my screeners. (laughs) It burrowed into the pile. Um, Michael Snydell. I mean, you need something to do with that Deadpool, too. Um, (laughs) uh, You can find me on Twitter where I'll be indecisive about what I should watch for the end of the year and then just watch Gody instead. <laughs> oh, or is God. it Gotti? It's Gotti, first of Gotti. all. Gotti. Gotti. What the fuck? Gotti? <laughs> get the hell I'm out sorry. Of here. Have yeah. you ever? As a person from Queens, I am furious with you right now. How, how okay. have you never heard of John Gotti? I, I had. I didn't mispronounce anything from Roma. <laughs> <laughs> Michael is just feeling so upset right now. Oh, my God. Anyway. The fun um, part is it was going in my head. I'm like, shit, is it Gotti or Gody? <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter uh, just constantly at replying Michael with pictures of goats. <laughs> at Brian J. Rowan. Um my personal site, dearfilm.net and briangerone.com. And of course, you can find all of these episodes and more stuff and cool end of the year stuff at filmstage.com. And uh, yeah, our next episode will be on Buster Scruggs, followed quickly by Into the Spider Verse with some Vox Lux thrown in there and probably Vice 2 coming up soon. It's the end of the year. <laughs> And we are going to kill ourselves to put out more episodes. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us this time and tune in next time. Tune in.